And I said to this guy, oh, are you going to be around tomorrow night? We've got the Christmas service on. I think it was the Christmas service. Um, are you going to be around tonight, tomorrow night? We've got the Christmas service on. Uh, and I sort of assumed he would be there. You know, he was always there. Uh, but the Bible was still going to be open, so I sort of figured he would be. But uh, instead, this guy said to me, Matt, I'm going to stay well clear. If I step through the doors to a church service, the roof would fall down on top of me. Believe me, God does not want anything to do with me. God does not want anything to do with me. I, I was a little bit blown away, actually. I mean, um, <laughs> this guy pretty much steps through these same doors every single day of the year. Uh, actually, he's, he's one of the guys who kind of does a lot of the handy jobs around the RSL, so he probably installed the doors. Uh, but because it was suddenly going to be a church service, he felt like he wouldn't be comfortable there. And it wasn't us, by the way. He didn't have anything against the church. He really liked us, really liked that we were there. Um, his issue was all to do with God, all to do with Jesus. Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with someone like me. I wonder if you know anyone who might say something a little bit like that. Maybe deep down, actually, there's a little bit of this in, in you or in us. Uh, I'm sure this guy from the RSL had some things in his past that he wasn't proud of. Um, that's something that you feel. Maybe deep down you have uh, some guilty feelings about something from your past, or, or maybe you're feeling a little bit just guilty about how your life's going at the moment. You're not really being the person you wish you were. Maybe you're starting to wonder, oh, is Jesus starting to lose patience? Is Jesus going to not want anything to do with me anymore? Or maybe, um, as we have explained a little bit before in the kids' talk, maybe you start to think that a little bit about others. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Jesus really wouldn't want anything that um, well, back in the time of Jesus, uh, the, the thinking of the day was certainly along those lines. Uh, around the Jewish region, people thought that God cared about the Jews. They were his people, especially those sort of um, Jews who followed all those Jewish traditions. If you were here last week, we looked at um, some of that, some of those Jewish traditions that got out of hands, the washing hands, the washing pitchers, the washing kettles. Uh, people thought that God cared about those people. But those who did live this way, especially the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, those who didn't live God's way, well, God wanted nothing to do with them. But in the passage that Julie's just read out for us today, Jesus blows that kind of thinking out of his life. I'm not sure how much you picked up as Julie read it for us. He, uh, Jesus meets a few different people, and there's some pretty strange sort of interactions that go on. It's the sort of passage that I think we'll raise a few questions for us. We've seen a number of different miracles. But what draws everything together that we've just read is that what we've just read is what happens when Jesus leaves Israel. What happens when Jesus left Israel? When Jesus went and spent some time with those sorts of people, the sorts of people that everyone would say, God wants nothing to do with them. And what we're going to try and do today is we're going to try and see that if we look at these stories together and if we try and work out the big point of what's going on. I think we'll see that this passage has something pretty amazing to say, has something pretty amazing to say about God's kingdom, especially um, it has something pretty amazing to say for the majority of us here, or certainly the majority of us here are not Jewish people, we are Gentiles. Uh, it has something to say to us because it says that God's kingdom is open, God's kingdom is, is open to everyone, uh, including us. And it has something amazing to say, especially to those people who maybe feel like maybe God doesn't want anything because God's been is for all. Uh, let me put up an outline of where we're going to go this morning. Um, this is what we're going to do. 
Uh, we're going to do kind of just two things today, really. Um, so if it's not coming up. I wonder if you could forget for me. My thing is, um, is not working. Thank you. Uh, we're going to do two things today, really. We're going to look at the four stories. There's, there's four stories that we've had read out for us. Um, we're just going to go through those stories. Uh, we're going to wrestle with those stories a bit, try and work out what's going on. Uh, that's, that's probably where we'll spend most of our time thinking about these four stories. Uh, but then what we're going to do again, because I've said these four stories all go together, this is all Jesus' kind of trip to, to, to the Gentile lands. Um, what we're going to see is the big point of what's going on. We're going to uh, really work hard to try and make sure we don't miss the wood for the trees, um, if you know that expression. We're going to make sure we notice the big point of what's going on in this part of the Bible. Uh, so four stories, and then we're just going to come back and make sure we don't miss the big point um, of everything that's going on. Um, so if you do have a Bible, it would be great to keep it open. Uh, Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Um, now, re- remember just where we're up to, if you were here with us last week, uh, Jesus has just had a big confrontation. Uh, he's had this big uh, thing go on with the Jewish leaders. And so it's not surprising that in today's story, we start with Jesus wanting to sort of get out of it, get away. So verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. So he's got it away. He's trying to trying to get some time by himself. Uh, this is where we get our first story, the story of this woman. The text tells us that she's a Greek. She's from Syrian Phoenicia. Uh, both of these are signals that this is not someone who would normally go anywhere near Jesus. A woman, a, not even a Samaritan, she's a Greek. Uh, she's living in Tyre. This is the people who fought against the Romans, sorry, against the Jews with the Romans, not that many years before. Uh, so these are, these are not people who would normally go through a Jewish teacher. You might remember uh, back in Mark chapter 2, we looked at it a few weeks ago, there was a tax collector called Levi. Uh, Jesus went and had dinner with this tax collector and, and people thought it was really scandalous because Jesus was associating with a tax collector. Uh, well, I, I read one commentator this week and he said that even Levi the tax collector would probably be raising his eyebrows at this woman coming to see Jesus. I mean, she's surely a Greek, Syrophoenician woman from Tyre is not going to come and approach Jesus. Surely she won't, but come to Jesus. She does. And Jesus, well, I don't know if you picked up Jesus' response as you read, 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 read through it with Julie, but I wonder what you feel when you think about Jesus' response. Verse 27, Jesus says to this woman, well, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, you might think that's a pretty offensive comment, and it is, I think. I don't think there's really any getting around it. Jesus is saying that the Jewish people, they're the children, and to, to help the woman, well, that would be like taking what belongs to the children and giving it to the dogs. Now, commentators do point out a few things, like Jesus kind of uses a word for dog that really means kind of a house dog or a pet dog. He could have chosen other words, like he could have, could have used a word that was more like mutt or something like that, or a street dog. He doesn't choose to use those words, he sort of, he calls her a pet dog, but look, you can, you can, you can play all sorts of um, linguistic kind of games. However you look at it, there's no getting around the fact that Jesus implies that this woman is a dog. It's not a nice thing to say. To the Jews, the dog, well, dogs were not a clean animal, they ate yucky things, they literally were unclean, they spread disease around... I, um, I've been a few times uh, to the country of Vanuatu uh, in the Pacific Islands, and one time I went to Vanuatu on a mission trip. Uh, we got to stay in one of the little villages for a few weeks, 
Um, and in this little village, there were a whole bunch of village dogs who would just roam around. They didn't really have owners. They would sleep outside. They would come around and try and scab food off you. Um, and they were, actually, they were pretty cute little dogs. But uh, you definitely, if you were going to touch one, you definitely would be washing your hands you know, for about 30 seconds with soap afterwards. Um, this is not Adelaide where we might you know, cuddle our dogs and let them sleep in our beds and brush their hair. No, dogs are pretty gross. And for Jesus to say that this woman is a dog, particularly that she's a dog because she's not a Jew, and because the Jews are like the children of the family and the non-Jews are the dogs, well, it's just it's not a nice thing to say. I don't think there's any way of getting around that. So what do we do about it? What do we think? Well, I think one thing we can do is we can make sure we read Jesus' comment in context. Of course, if you were here last week again, you'll know that Mark has just been giving us the story of Jesus calling out the Pharisees. Uh, and Jesus called out the Pharisees because they focused on the external, uh, because they focused on what was outside, they thought about things like clean hands, they thought about what race you belong to, that's most important. But Jesus pushed back on all of that and he said, no, 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 what counts is not the external, what counts is our hearts. And uh, so Jesus has just been saying all of this, and then he comes and makes this comment to the woman, which kind of actually, I think, um, if anything, it's going to make us confused more than anything, perhaps. Because, hang on, isn't that the opposite of just everything Jesus has just been fighting about and everything Jesus has just been saying? And now you come to uh, the opposite. And so if we read the comment in that context, well, it makes us think a little bit more. I think it's still fair enough to say that it's a pretty provocative and, and certainly an offensive sort of comment. Even we know, kind of, hang on, we know now where Jesus stands on the issue. I think we start to see that primarily what Jesus is doing is rather than denigrating this woman, what he's really doing, the heart of what he's doing is he's challenging her. He's challenging her theologically. He's challenging her with kind of the universal attitude of the day with what everyone else thinks. He's sort of saying, look, look woman, if, if, if this was a house and then the Jews would be the children and you would just be one of the dogs and we, we wouldn't get fed until the children had been fed. That's kind of what everyone would accept. That's kind of what everyone would know. The woman would know that's how things are. Everyone knows what, how, that's how, what things are like. That's just how it is. That's what people at the time would accept and believe. It's like Jesus is challenging her and he's saying, this is the reality. This is the world we live in. Tell me then why I should help you. And what Jesus does is he gives it to her how it is but he also gives her the chance to push back, to respond. And what a response the woman gives. Uh, look at it there in verse 28. Lord, even the dogs under the table get the children's crumbs. <coughs> even if the dogs in the house don't get you know, the best food or the food first, well, they still get fed at the end of the day. I think there are two, two wonderful things about this response of the woman, two things that are a great example to us. Firstly, the woman gets her sinfulness. Yeah, she's copped a pretty provocative comment here from Jesus. And you think back to last week and those Pharisees and, and in contrast, how self-righteous those Pharisees were. You know, they'd say, yeah, look at us, you know, we've got all these great traditions, our hands are clean, we're so devoted. But this woman doesn't say anything, say anything like that. She, she gets it. She says, you know what, Jesus? I am a dog. You know, she gets that her heart is evil. And so she doesn't fight it. She doesn't say, how dare you, I'm just as good as those Pharisees. No, she knows that she's got a problem. She knows that she's not deserving of Jesus' help. 
But the second thing she gets is that she gets Jesus is still able to help. Yeah, because it definitely takes pride to say that you don't need Jesus' help. You know, I'm fine just the way I am. My hands are clean. I don't need you, Jesus. But I also think it takes something a little bit like pride to say that you're beyond Jesus' help. To say, oh, no, I'm, the one. I'm, I'm too bad, God. I'm worse than anyone else. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want to have what it takes to help me. If I worked into a church, you know, the roof would collapse on top of me. You know, Jesus' grace is enough. When he says he can forgive sin, he needs it. The woman knows this. She may well be a dog, but from Jesus, all she needs is those crumbs. His grace is enough for her. She knows her sins, but she knows his mercy. She gets it. Jesus is able to help her. He's able to forgive sins. That, after all, is what he's come to do. Uh, now, our second story, the deaf and mute man. We'll move through these next three stories a little bit faster. The second story in our passage is all about uh, this man. This man. Mark uses a uh, Greek word to describe this man. He uses the word megalomon. It's a word that's only used in one other place in the whole Bible. It means he's deaf with a severe sort of speech impediment. And almost certainly this is another non-Jewish person. Uh, I just want us to notice with this deaf and mute man, uh, particularly in contrast to the Syrophoenician woman, with the, with the woman, Jesus has given her a sharp, provocative challenge. But with the deaf and mute man, Jesus is completely the opposite. Incredibly gentle, incredibly compassionate. Uh, just notice in verse 33, he starts by taking the man away from the crowd. I mean, no doubt the man is scared. No doubt the man is used to being made a spectacle. So Jesus um, shows incredible, what we might call emotional intelligence. He takes the man to a private spot. And actually, also incredibly, Jesus seems to use something like sign language. Um, Jesus, Jesus, of course, he doesn't have to touch the man's ears or touch the man's tongue. Of course, Jesus can heal with just a word. But, of course, deaf man wouldn't hear a word, would he? So Jesus takes him aside, touches his hands, touches his tongue. Jesus does just what he needs to do to be as helpful as he can to this man. Um, when I was at uh, Bible College, uh, one of the lecturers at Bible College, me and, me and him connected really well, really, really early on. Um, he found out, this, this lecturer found out straight away that I was into soccer, and so he would chat about soccer with me and find a few other things that we had in common too, and so we had these great um, conversations, we had this great kind of connection, and I thought that's really cool, we have so much in common, um, great that I've got this connection. And then I started watching this lecturer, and I started to notice that, oh, well, that guy over there, he doesn't talk about soccer, he talks about cricket. And with that person over there, he just talks about how the kids and family are going. And with her, he talks about home projects. And I realised that it wasn't that he and I especially had amazing, lots of things in common and had this amazing, great connection. It wasn't like he was being fake. It was just that he was very naturally connecting with everyone. And that actually for each different person, that that would look quite different. Well, what we're seeing in the passage is that this is true for Jesus too. The, the, the woman, Jesus knew somehow that what she needed was to be pushed. She needed this theological challenge. But this, this definite man, well, Jesus knows that what he needs is tender, loving, compassion and gentleness. And Jesus is so caring. He's so intimate with this man even, you might say. And don't forget, we're dealing with the Gentile here, so the, the Pharisees who you know, we saw last week 
you know, the Pharisees, they would be saying, you know, we're going to wash our hands just because we've even been near this guy. You know, so the Pharisees, this was the sort of guy who sort of, you might say, oozed uncleanliness. Um, and Jesus, well, it's a bit gross what Jesus does, isn't it? But um, Jesus actually takes his own spit and puts it into the man's mouth. Um, I think it's a way of showing that Jesus, by contrast, well, he oozes life. He oozes healing. He oozes righteousness. We saw last week that uncleanness flows out of our hearts. Well, what flows out of Jesus is forgiveness and righteousness. Whoever we are, he's able to help us. Our third story is the feeding of the 4,000. Now, if you have been with us through this series, you're probably getting a little bit of deja vu, uh, because we had another story a few weeks ago, the feeding of the 5,000. Very similar, obviously it's a thousand people different, but... uh, you might remember Simon kind of preaching for us on that week a few weeks ago. I thought it was a really helpful uh, kind of push out of our minds that picture of a happy, lovely church picnic and actually maybe what was really going on was probably a bit closer to a rebellious army mustering or something like that. Uh, but a, a couple of quick things to notice about this feeding of the 4,000 for us today. Um, first of all, the devotion. There's a couple of things there that the people that are in a remote place, they stay there for three days. And they're obviously out of food, but they're so devoted to Jesus that they still stay there listening to Jesus. Um, you might have seen on the news, I think it was last week, that um, the Port Adelaide football team were allowed to wear their uh, black and white jumpers again. Uh, it's been a big controversy. And, and last week, Port Adelaide, they were allowed to make a limited number of these jumpers um, available for sale. And you might have seen it on the news. Um, the night before they went on sale, you can see all the Port fans camping out on the streets uh, down at Alberton, just lining up to get one of these jumpers. Now, some of you might say that, that mostly what that is is sad, uh, but certainly it is devotion, isn't it? You know, I would have loved to have got one of those jumpers myself, actually, but I, I wouldn't even think about having that sort of dedication to go and camp out overnight. These people are so devoted to Jesus, they've camped out three nights, and they've even run out of food, and they still stay, they don't, they don't leave. And Jesus, again, like he's had compassion on the deaf man, and like he was able to help this Syrophoenician woman. He has compassion on this crowd as well, and he helps them. And it's mind-blowing, isn't it? We mustn't miss that. It's just mind-blowing. 4,000 people, they just out of nowhere. The other thing to notice about this feeding of the 4,000, um, it's a little bit cryptic, but just what's going on with some of these numbers and the baskets. Um, and it's all kind of pointing us to this Jewish Gentile idea again. Uh, one of the differences in the feeding of the 5,000, of course, was that that was a Jewish crowd. And this time, it's now a crowd of Gentiles. And the reason for all these highlighting of these bags and how much was left over is that with the feeding of the 5,000, it was 12 bags left over, right? And 12, you might know, represents, that number represents the Jewish people. There's 12 tribes, 12 sons of Jacob. But with the, with the feeding of the 4,000, it's not 12 bags left over, now it's 7 bags left over. You might know that number is very significant as well. That's the complete number in the Bible. That's the number of days in the creation story. That's the number that makes us think of the whole world. I think the point is pretty clear. Jesus, yes, he was able to feed the Jews. Yes, he came to help the Jewish people. But now we see that he's come for the Gentiles as well. He's come not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. So, three miracles... Syrophoenician woman, the death of the new man, feeding 4,000 people. Uh, all interesting miracles, all kind of different in different ways, but um, all the stories are showing us that Jesus is able to help. 
The Syrophoenician woman knew that she could count on Jesus' help. We've seen how Jesus was able to help the deaf and the mute man. We've seen his compassion with the hungry crowd and he was able to help them. I think hopefully we're starting to get the point that Jesus is able to help us, whoever we are. But then we have this last section of our reading that's about Pharisees and disciples and yeast and baskets. Uh, Jesus, uh, what happens in this last section of our reading is Jesus is heading back now home. He's heading back towards Israel. Uh, straight away he runs into the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees say, Jesus, we want a sign. As if Jesus hasn't just given a whole bunch of signs. Uh, the Pharisees are afraid of missing the point, aren't they? Uh, not only do the Pharisees miss the point, but then it turns to the disciples and they miss the point as well. Jesus, you see in that last part there, Jesus grabs out some bread and he wants to give an illustration. He says, uh, you know, the yeast is a bit like the teaching of the Pharisees and he's kind of using yeast as a negative and so easily spread through the whole batch of dough and he's warning them, you know, be careful of what the Pharisees are saying. But the disciples, they just go, oh, uh, maybe, maybe he's just annoyed because we didn't pack enough lunch. Like, they're just, man, like, you, you can imagine why Jesus sort of seems to be annoyed at them, can't you? How many times can they miss the point? Uh, look, at, look at the last part of our passage from verse 17. Jesus says, why are you talking about bread? I mean, come on. Do you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, but ears but fail to hear? You know, just like that deaf person I healed, or that blind person I'm going to heal next week. And don't you remember, I just fed 5,000 people a few weeks ago, and we had 12 whole baskets left over, and, and, and I just fed 4,000 people, and we had seven loaves left over. Do you really think you're going to go hungry with me? All these stories that show us that Jesus is compassionate and he's able to help us, that he cares for us. And then the disciples are still stressing about where their next meal is going to come from. The Pharisees miss the point, the disciples miss the point. I think the challenge for us as the reader of Mark's Gospel is are we going to get the point? Do you still not understand, says Jesus? Well, I think actually this is a little uh, clue in the text for us that we're meant to be understanding something from all this. And what are we meant to understand from what we've read today? Then? Well, I've tried to break it down for us. I've tried to synthesize it for us a little bit. If we could put it up on the screen as well, Joel. We're going to make sure that we don't miss the point. We're going to put it up right in front of us. Here, I think, is what we should be taking away from what we've read today. Jesus is able to help anyone and everyone because he is God come to bring salvation. Jesus is able to help anyone and everyone because he is God himself come to bring salvation. Let me just break this down a little bit for us as, as we come towards the end. So just the first part of what I've put up on the screen here, um, we could flip to that, flip to that job, thank you. Um, Jesus is able to help. We have, we have seen this, haven't we? The Syrophoenician woman, she knew that Jesus could help. She knew that all she needed was some crumbs. We've seen how Jesus knew exactly what the deaf man needed. Jesus was able to help. He showed compassion on that crowd and helped them too. The disciples we stood and kept worrying about bread. We can see it, can't we? Jesus is able to help, and he's able to help us. And so what does that mean? It means that we need to know, first of all, what particularly we majored on last week, you know, we need to know that we need help. You know, we asked him, full our hearts are evil, we need to know what that woman kind of got, that we are dogs, you know, we have a problem. But we need to know that we're not beyond his help. We are not beyond his help. 
my friend back at the RSL, kind of like that. He would say that Jesus wanted nothing to do with him. But that is not true, is it? No one is beyond his help. Yes, our hearts are broken. Yes, our hearts are evil. Yes, we have done some pretty messed up things. But Jesus is full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He's full of grace. He loves us. And he loves to forgive. We don't, do not need to feel guilty before him. What we should feel when we come to Jesus is loved and forgiven and cherished. Because we've been given a seat at this table. So we will come to him for help. The second part of our little phrase, anyone and everyone, Jesus is able to help anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. We've seen this day too, haven't we? Jesus has gone off into the Gentile territories. He knows how to help even a sorry Phoenician woman. He knows how to help the deep, the deaf and the mute man. He even he fed the Jewish crowd with, with bread and a few fish, but he can feed the Gentile crowd as well. This Jesus, this, this Jewish Messiah, well, he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for all. Jesus has just blown apart the whole Gentile and Jewish thing that, that the Jews are the children and the Gentiles are the dogs. No, Jesus says, I'm here for everyone, and they're all included in my new kingdom. All people, anyone and everyone, Jesus is able to cleanse us all. And this has all sorts of ramifications. It has ramifications for how we think about how we welcome people at church. I hope if you're new or visiting today that you felt really well welcomed. It doesn't matter who comes through those doors at the back of church on a Sunday. Whoever it is, anyone and everyone, Jesus is able to help them. And so we want to welcome anyone and everyone well. Help to come and hear what Jesus might say to them. And as we think about Easter, maybe we're thinking about who we might invite along. I wonder, is there someone that perhaps you've overlooked? Someone maybe deep down that you think, oh, I'm not sure that Jesus would really want anything to do with them. Or maybe they wouldn't want anything to do with Jesus. But we know that Jesus actually has something to offer them. So maybe this is the right time to pass on an invite. Last part of our little phrase here, Jesus is able to help anyone and everyone because he is God himself come to bring salvation. This one is a little bit harder to spot in our passage. We've seen pretty clearly that Jesus is able to help anyone. We've seen that he came not just for the Jews, but the whole world. But let's just think for a second. Why is that? Why would the Jewish Messiah care about the whole world? Why would, why would the Jewish Messiah care about anyone but the Jews? Well, Mark's given us a couple of big clues about that question. One is those seven baskets of bread left over from the feeding. This connects Jesus back to the God who made just not just the nation of Israel, but the God who made the whole world. Uh, but there's another big clue too. It was in the story of the death of the mute man. I did just mention it, I think, as we went through. Mark uses a Greek word to describe the man, uh, Mogalalam. That word Mogalalam, it's only used twice in the whole Bible. This, this in Mark is one of them. And the other one is back in Isaiah chapter 35. The same, the same word is used back in the Greek Old Testament. And so make no mistake, Mark is wanting us to think about Isaiah when he uh, uses this word. And what is Isaiah 35 about? Well, it's very relevant to what we've been looking at today. It's an oracle of hope for the nations. Isaiah has just spent chapters and chapters and chapters talking about all the evil that comes out of the nations. But in Isaiah 35, he flips it around and he gives an oracle of hope. This is why all nations can still have hope, including the Gentiles. And Isaiah describes this, this is what it's going to look like. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened... The ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap for deer, uh, like a deer, and the mute tongue, there's that word, the mute tongue will shout for joy. 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the mute shouting. This is describing a time when all nations should listen up and have hope. And why should they have hope? Well, just the very previous verse. This is what it says in verse 4. Say to those with beautiful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. As I said, Mark wants us to be thinking of this passage when we read our story today. This moment of Jesus healing, bringing hope to the nations. Mark wants us to see it's not just because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, although of course he is the Jewish Messiah, Jesus has come to bring hope for the nations because this is God himself come to earth. This is the one who cares about all nations because he made all nations. This is the God who created the whole world and he's walking around and the blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing and the mute are shouting. And Mark is making it clear for us. Who is this Jesus and what has he come to do? Well, this is God himself and he's come to bring salvation to his world. So will we come to him for his help? Well, next week we're going to get to the end of the first half, the first act of the book of Mark, uh, very appropriately as we get close to Easter, we're going to see just exactly how Jesus' salvation is going to come about. But now I'll leave it there, and I'll pray. God, we thank you today for Jesus. He is mighty to save. And we thank you that he came for everyone. Help us to know our need for him. Help us to come to him. And fill us with the knowledge of his grace and mercy and the assurance that in him we are dearly beloved, given 